Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. May God bless our understanding of this sacred text. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The song kicks off with a lilting fiddle, a strumming guitar, and a thumping upright bass. You can't help but tap your cowboy boot to the beat. You think it's going to be a cheerful song from those first few bars. But when Steve Earle starts singing, you know you've been snookered by one of country music's oldest tricks. Happy-go-lucky tunes paired with lyrics so melancholy, you don't know whether to dance or cry. I wish I'd never come back home. It don't feel right since I've been grown. I can't find any of my old friends hanging round. Won't nothing bring you down like your hometown. So goes hometown blues. When Rich and Meredith and I sat around a table last summer brainstorming places we might add to our list uh, for our Lenten series on holy ground and sacred spaces, home was right near the top of the list. Home means different things to different people, of course. For some, home connotes joy and warmth and a loving family. Laura Ingalls Wilder wrote that home is the nicest word there is. For others, leaving home is a courageous act of escape, a salvation from hurt and harm. When an acquaintance tells you she's going home for the holidays, you really can't automatically assume this is a trip she's eagerly anticipating. For every hometown that is remembered with rosy nostalgia, there is a hometown remembered with sorrow. The irony is that the very same village can be cherished or vilified. 
The very same household can be beloved to one brother and the source of pain to another. I can imagine Jesus whistling that old country tune to himself as he walks the dusty streets of Nazareth. He'd been traveling all over the Galilean countryside with his band of followers. He had been doing remarkable things everywhere he went, healing the sick, casting out demons, and utterly blowing people's minds with his teachings about love and forgiveness and mercy. And then, the Son of God goes home. Not his home in the heavens, seated next to the right hand of the Father. The Son of God goes home to Nazareth, the place where he grew up. Not the place where he was born, for as we all know from our Christmas Eve pageants, Joseph and Mary are far from home in the town of Bethlehem when it's time for the baby doll to appear in the manger. Now, the thing you need to know about Nazareth is this. The only reason we have ever heard of it is because it's where Jesus learned to walk and talk and pray. Nazareth was a tiny village of about 400 people. 400 people, most of whom were farmers and all of whom were deeply religious. Everyone knew everyone else. You think it's bad at Mariano's here? Everyone knew everyone else. Whatever naughty thing you did when you were four, whatever dumb thing you did when you were 14, it was all part of the public record, the collective memory. And so the Son of God goes home, and it doesn't go so well. He doesn't botch his speech in the synagogue. On the contrary, he drops the mic on those Nazarenes. He knocks their socks off. But as soon as they shake off their initial amazement, they are offended. Offended. Where did this man get all of this? What is this wisdom that's been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter? This is some fascinating psychology at play. It seems like it should go the other way. I mean, think about last month when our own Jake Elliott was kicking field goals for Philadelphia in the Super Bowl. Everyone was rooting for the hometown boy. But this isn't how it happens for Jesus. To be clear, there is a difference between a football player and a messianic prophet, but sometimes people look upon their fellow Nazarene or Western Springer or Lagrangeite, whatever it is you call, what do you call people from Lagrange? Wonderful. <laughs> Sometimes we look upon our neighbors not with pride, though many of us do, but with scorn. Look who got too big for his britches. Who do you think you are? Jesus went home to share astounding teachings and transformative miracles with his neighbors. The elder who taught him how to read Aramaic, 
the girl who had a crush on him in adolescence, the boy who had once played a prank on him, and maybe vice versa. These people couldn't see him as anything but Mary's kid. They couldn't reconcile that this familiar carpenter was dispensing profound wisdom and doing deeds of astonishing power. They could not honor a prophet from their own hometown. I will confess that I didn't really want to be the one to preach this scripture. I thought Rich should preach it. I mean, he's the one who has the audacity to pastor the same congregation that granted him his fourth-grade Bible. This story of Jesus floundering in Nazareth was apparently the text that was read 21 years ago when he was installed as senior minister. Susan Thistlethwaite, one of Rich's mentors and professors, read the story to the congregation, closed her Bible, and turned to Rich. Good luck, she said to him. Meredith's story is echoed in this text as well. She may not have grown up in this town, but she did join the congregation some 30 years ago. She spent decades as a member before she discerned her call to ministry. The journey from pew to pulpit is not always an easy one. She took a risk accepting the call to serve here. Could this congregation learn to see her as one of their ministers? The answer, of course, was yes. You have wholeheartedly embraced Meredith as one of your ministers. And despite his foreboding installation text, you have honored your hometown prophet, despite his, the reputation he earned as a kid at McClure Junior High. Jesus' stop in Nazareth ends in amazement, but not the amazement of the crowd. The amazement of a man who has realized that his God-given mission is no match for the cynicism of his friends and neighbors. And this, I think, is the invitation. This is the wisdom of the text. Don't be cynical. Cynicism will make you unable to see God when God shows up in unexpected places. Cynicism will blind you. But so will nostalgia. Both cynicism and nostalgia cast such deep shadows they render us incapable of beholding what actually is. This is true of our encounters with Christ, just as it is true when we cross the city limits of our own hometowns. The chorus of that Steve Earle song is even sadder than its verses. Home is where the heart is, ain't that what they always say? My heart lies in broken pieces, scattered along the way. We cannot receive the good news if we are bound by cynicism or nostalgia. The carpenter whose heart 
was broken by his hometown. The son of Mary, whose body was like bread torn and scattered along the way. This is the one who brings healing, wholeness, restoration. This is the one who will wipe away all our tears. This is the one who will reconcile fathers with their wayward sons, daughters with their prodigal mothers. This is the one who will turn our songs of sorrow into hymns of joy. This is the one, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Lord, we believe. Help thou our unbelief. Amen.